Hey, Julia, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? <laughs> so I grew up in Houston, Texas, and pretty much every weekend went to the, my mother's side of the family in Leesville, Louisiana, which I always say I grew up between Houston and Louisiana. They are both a part of me. But I grew up eating a lot of Gulf Coast seafood, which I absolutely love. I grew up eating crawfish. I grew up eating, you know, fresh vegetables and fresh meats because my grandmother kept like rabbits and hens and all that kind of stuff. So basically just like to me, a normal family was like, it was always greens on the table. It was always like some type of seafood or protein, you know, meat protein. And it was just a lot of fun. My dad was to cook. My mother couldn't cook. So my father cooked all <laughs> That's so, you know, rare. Yes. Yes. But you how, know, in the how South, did a your... lot of men cook. A lot, the oh, South, a lot of men cook. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of men cook really well, actually, too. And you're based in D.C. now? I'm based in D.C. I'm between D.C. and Houston a lot. So because wow. of COVID, I am here. Otherwise, I would usually go to Houston. This is the longest I haven't been to Houston since I moved to D.C. In 15, 15 years ago. I usually go to Houston probably every six to eight weeks, sometimes maybe a little longer, like every three months, but very often. Right, right, right. And you were just telling me before we started recording that you're you're super busy right now. What are you working on? Well, I... I'm between writing assignments, um, helping people with panels. I'm like moderating a panel next week on different panels as, you know, that happens, that people are doing those. I slowly am weaning myself, trying to take August off from not having any personal wine chats. I usually do a different wine chat most Mondays. And so I had one um two days ago and I have one tomorrow, but it's not a wine chat. It's just a talking with an author. I really, really uh, like, and I'm going to not actually do my own chats. I'm just going to be a participant in other people's chats for August. <laughs> Amazing. And how did you decide to enter the wine world? And specifically, how did you get so interested in French wines? So um, I will say this, I studied abroad in France. That was not the way I got into French wines. <laughs> I got into French wine because uh, an attorney, I used to be a legal assistant, and an attorney I worked with, he drank a lot of California Napa cabs, but he also drank a lot of Bordeaux. And so he introduced me actually to food and wine pairings. He was a person that paired like Texas barbecue with all these amazing high-end wine, as we would call them. And he just really made me taste a lot of food. And I'm a you know, adventurous eater, but I just, I don't, my family doesn't drink. So I didn't come where wine was on the table and he could really see, I was really getting into it. And he would always encourage me every week, buy a different bottle of wine, have something different with it. Just try to figure out what you like, try to work on it and make it fun. And it wasn't too pretentious and I wasn't working in wine. I was a legal assistant. So it just became really, really right. enjoyable. So for me, in my late twenties, I discovered wine and that's when I really started traveling back to Europe to drink wine and as part of my vacation. Right. And how did you professionally get into wine? How did you make it your life? Well, I, from the legal field, I moved to D.C. I was still a legal assistant. And in 2006, I started a beauty blog. I don't think people really know that. I did a beauty blog for 10 years. And I could see, like, I really enjoyed doing it. I really, really enjoyed writing. I mean, I actually have a degree in English. And 
one of the things I kept going, wow, I could eventually make this a job, like my job. And in 2010, I quit my legal job to write full time. But I was writing about beauty. And so at the end of 2015, I had been having these things going back and forth that I didn't want to write about beauty anymore. I actually wanted to move into food and wine because I was finding more enjoyment with that. I still like beauty. I think it's great. And but something was calling me about food and wine. But food wasn't calling me as to be a food writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could say I wanted to do a be travel writer more, but the wine was calling me because also I was when I started realizing and Googling, I didn't find many black wine writers. I knew about Dorothy Gator from the Wall Street Journal. I knew about Melody Fuller. I knew about a few handful of people, but I just I knew a couple of bloggers that I met because I Googled them, but I didn't see anybody who was making a career of it. So I just took the leap of faith in 2016 to write full-time by wine. Amazing. And, you know, how did you, I know, because people, you know, might be a a lot of um, hopeful writers uh, or people interested in how people's careers start. Um, You know, how did you make that happen? Uh, Like, how did you get your first assignment in wine? Well, you know, you like it says everything you you pitch to, you get a rejection, right? And I also kept my own blog. I am a person that believes I think people should own something of their own so they can also write about Mm -hmm. whatever they decide without that. And I was still, you know, as having career in legal, I was still doing freelance stuff. I was picking up other jobs. You have to do that to really where it even it keeps going. But even now, I still I work at a wine store part time, right? Mm. Uh, It helps with being able to taste a lot of wines that's the way I was able to really taste a lot of wines is because working at a store but you know before COVID people brought so many wines to the store for you to taste to see if you want to put them on the shelf and we taste as a team we didn't you know it wasn't mm-hmm. like there's a buyer and they taste no we everybody tastes because the store is very small and they allowed me to have this crazy travel schedule so it started because I was just pitching and just knowing the publications like okay what's the front of that magazine and learning those terms because if you don't work in magazines you have to figure out how they are laid out. But I read a lot of magazines and I still read a lot of magazines. So I knew what part that I can get an entry to, right? And also mm-hmm. just keeping that, the blog helped me keep my creative creativity going because I was always writing content. Right. Absolutely. And so you recently formed the platform Black Wine Professionals. What inspired you to do that and, and what are your hopes for it? Well, after I did this Instagram live talking about the racism in the wine industry, which I a lot of people don't realize, I've been talking about this oh, nonstop for two years, literally two and a half years, have just been really, really talking about this and writing about it and speaking about it. And I remember being on a media trip and the one of the PR ladies goes, she said, well, Julia, I'm being honest. I just don't know how to find many black wine professionals because I just don't know them. And I remember that just kind of sparked my mind. I was like, okay, I could get what you're saying. And she was like, I don't know a lot of media, especially black white people in media. Like we're talking bloggers and podcasters and that kind of thing and wine. And so that had been in my head, but it took that live and people going, wow, we didn't know it was so many, you know, I made this little quick little Canva like photo of like, hey, please don't tell me you don't know anybody black and wine because here are some black wine professionals. After that, I just couldn't sleep. So I just start, I started mm-hmm. to say, if I create a list in this database and I personally vet every single person on that list, not an influencer, because I always tell people I am making a very big distinction. 
between an influencer and a professional. Some people were a little upset about that, but I have to make that distinction because these are the people who are honing this as a craft. These are these people's livelihoods. But then how do I get people to recognize them for projects, for wine classes to lead and actually get paid to do that? That's why I created it. So if someone needs a psalm, if they need a wine educator, if they want to talk to a wine buyer, if they want to talk to a wine salesperson, if they need other voices in media, here's a list of people that we have vetted to say, hey, and we're going to slowly keep adding people, but we have a process like you, if you haven't had the experience, you have to have a certain level of certification because that also means you have skin in the game. It's not for people who are entering the industry. And I'm working on something for people who are trying to get into the industry, but this platform isn't that. Right, right. And how how did you differentiate between influencers and professionals? Because I think this is a big conversation in in food, travel, beverage media. Well, um, I look at if you if you make a certain income of your living as a wine professional, but also I went through and it took a long time. I mean, I took a lot of hours. I went through a lot of people's social media, not just the pictures. I went through their videos. I listened to their language. Wine is very factual. There's an emotional part of it, but wine is factual. And if I listen to someone who couldn't explain tannin, but they're trying to, they're calling themselves an educator and they couldn't explain it, they're not on the list because you're not a wine professional. That is a simple factual thing. There is a, there's a reason there is a tannin. It's one of those things you cannot see. And if there's a, if you don't have that basic wine knowledge, then how can you teach someone else, right? And so I know there are people who are on social and they're wine professional and they have influence. But to me, I think an influencer is someone separate. Right. Absolutely. No, it was interesting. I, yeah. I watched that Instagram live of yours and it brought to mind so many media events that were just, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, you know, for me just yeah. saying that, I mean, I remember going to a dinner for Uncle Nearest Whiskey, and I don't know if you've heard of that brand, but... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we sell it the- at our store, yeah. Right, but, you know, everyone there was white, and I went home, and I was like, what What was that? And I, I, you know, I emailed, you know, my friends and was like, hey, did you get invites to this? No? Okay. So how are the these, the, how the decision-making... Uh, among the the publicists who are are yes. organizing things is just um it's it's really beyond my comprehension because people people who do this work are not hiding you know like by the nature of yes. this work everyone is out there and so that you know you've had to take this time to form this platform which is going to be great and is going to hopefully be you know game changing for the wine industry and for wine media you know that's you know you shouldn't have had to take on that labor um but i don't know how you feel <laughs> but about you know that what here's the thing i shouldn't have and, and i mean I, right but i i'm glad i did though right mm-hmm. at this point i'm just glad i did because now right. i can actually you know talk to publicists and go hey who do you need that actually fits that right and we can work together that way, they're not Googling someone who, you know, they may want somebody who, you know, could actually talk about the wine for some, you know, a class or an event, a live or whatever. Now we can actually work together. And that's why I create. And that's why I'm glad 
I had the time because I will say this and I hate and I always hate to say this is it took COVID and a person getting murdered in the streets for actually me to have time to sit down and create this because otherwise I would be on the road. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And I'm, that's one of my questions for you, actually, is, is are you finding that inability to travel right now challenging? You know, how has it changed your work and your life? So I'm not honestly, the first month was rough, right? When I realized oh, I'm not going to champagne. Oh, my gosh. Right. <laughs> and I just did one of these really big cries. I grieved that that is not happening, probably won't happen this year for me. And when I let that go I was okay. I was like, okay, I'm creating community with these wine chats. I'm bringing these great people who some people have never heard of. They've never known about this wine. We're just coming on and having a great chat. So I'm bringing a new set of eyeballs to these wines and to this region. And I just embrace the new way of traveling, which is in a wine class. <laughs> That's just right. the way it is. <laughs> And and have you been trying anything new and interesting? What have you been drinking lately? And and how are you deciding what to focus on in your chats? Well, um, a lot of people know me because I love bubble, I love sparkling wine. So I love sparkling wine, and I and I'm one of those people. I like all wines, and a lot of people think I only drink when I say sparkling champagne. I you know, I'm working on a champagne certification because champagne is usually the way a lot of people sit the way they make sparkling wine, but. I am able to find wines because I have, you know, work at a store, people email me, or I'm just reading and reading other publications. Also, I find out about a lot of different wines, like from the reading UK wine newsletters, I subscribe to those. And for me, I'm just a naturally curious person. So I'm always trying to figure that part out. Mm -hmm. And, and so right now I am drinking, is that what you're asking? What am I drinking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I am drinking, <laughs> um, a, I'm drinking a lot of Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc from California, which is surprisingly one of the, it just, I just like drinking it. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm also definitely drinking uh, some pet nets, uh, sparkling to just see people are making them. I don't want to say that they're a natural pet net or not, I don't use the term natural. I just know they're very well made from a very good soil, from a get, very good family. <laughs> and also, um, I do drink one of my favorite champagnes is called quote unquote, my house champagne is Lallier Brut Rosé. I, I drink usually about a bottle of that a week. Amazing. And it, you mentioned the natural thing. I mean, that's a huge topic in the wine world right now. And it's being covered usually uh, quite terribly. It's in, in the mainstream media. It's always just like, what mm -hmm. is natural wine? Um, so yeah, how do you, how did you come to not use the term natural wine? And, and how do you make these kinds of differentiations between um, things that might be, you know, low intervention versus higher intervention wines? Okay, so you know how, like, in the food world, we always, everything now is about the soil, or the soil right. and where it comes from and where it's grown, right? I drink wines based on that, how, that's how that winemaking family company makes wine. They don't put a label on it. They just make wines with minimal intervention, but they don't even call it natural. They just make wine that actually appreciates the land, and they don't want to ruin the land. And that's why I, that's what I drink. I don't think it's that, I don't think it needs to have the natural label or organic label. You have a lot of people, they don't want to pay for that 
you know, organic term. And that's okay if they don't want to. They don't have to. But I think it's my job as a wine professional to say there are people who make natural wines that don't use that word. There's a Italy is a lot of people in Italy in in France and Europe in general have been making a lot of natural wines. They just never say it. If you drink Georgian wines from Georgia in the country, they have been making natural wines for 8,000 years. They just don't have to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so why do you think that's become kind of a buzzword? I think it started with a lot of Psalms. I think it's like a Psalms got geeky. And then you had a lot of people talking about it's healthier for you. It's the same thing as this whole clean wine concept. That kind of like, it's, it's, that's just the way the world works. And I, and I understand that. And I think it just took off with like social media and always natural. And, you know, I've gone to natural wine festivals and some of that stuff needs, is horrible. Like some of it is just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not good. And people are using that like, oh, is I'm, I'm like, no, this is not good. This is not done. This is gross. And they're using it on the term natural. And I'm like, mm. the thing of it is, if I wanted kombucha, I'll just drink kombucha for $3 instead of paying $30 <laughs> for one that tastes like, I'm just going to drink kombucha. <laughs> uh- <laughs> No, I mean, I because I know exactly what you mean by wines that taste like kombucha. Um, yeah, the <laughs> but you, so for you, you know, it's for people who might not understand these distinctions, like on a visceral level of like you know the mm-hmm. the not doneness of a wine. Like, can you describe what you taste in a, a wine that is done versus a wine that is not done? Well. One, you know, sometimes there's a bubbling on the tongue, almost like if you put baking soda or peroxide on your tongue. That's not what I want in a wine. I want when I taste the wine, I want to be able to experience all these great flavors, right? If it's going to be lemon, if it's going to be, you know, honeysuckle or pineapple, I want to experience that. I don't want to drink a wine to me and then the whole thing is just like this very tart and I really say kombucha-esque because you know the whole thing with like a lot of natural wines is like we don't filter wines and everything and natural sediment and that's perfectly fine you you know if that's your thing but at the end of the day whether or not they filter that I just need to know that the fermentation that actually should have probably been longer should have had more time in the bottle and actually just it's a well-made wine that everything is in balance that the acid the alcohol and the flavors and some of these wines right, that right. they're missing the flavor, but the alcohol and the acid might be there. So for me, I don't mind, you know, if it's supposed to be a carbonic maceration with a little bubbly or frizzante like in a pet net, that's perfectly fine. But if it's supposed to be a steel wine and I'm still getting that, that is to me something that's not done. Right. And, and to the, each I mean, his we, own, and that's we, the beauty of wine, right? Right, right. No, I mean, I I worked at a wine bar and we would we would refer to that as kind of effervescence. That would be the euphemistic way of describing that. <laughs> okay. That um yeah, uh, but I you know that, and you know, it depends on whether you like that or not. But um, no, mm-hmm. at the same time, it, it is super interesting how people um how people are describing all these wines and how people are are creating distinctions when they're they're really. You know, as you say, you know, wine is is wine, and and whether it's good or not, and whether you like it or not, or those are the those are the the judgment points. Um, mm-hmm. 
perhaps. Um, so you've written a lot about the $1.2 trillion buying power of Black Americans and how the wine world has ignored that. Have you have you noticed any changes in that? Or are you hopeful that there are changes in that in terms of how the wine world is marketing to and and being welcoming to um, the the Black Americans? Well, um, I first want to say uh, Nika Okona wrote that story initially about the okay. $1.2 trillion. I just want to clarify that. And so <laughs> I was quoted in that. And I speak on that a lot because I feel like the wine industry, the color they're missing is green. And I say this all mm -hmm. the time, the color is green. And in their marketing, the way everyone markets now, we're in a social media marketing culture. It is not going anywhere as much as sometimes the wine world is behind the spirits world in that, right? And they're missing the money on who they think is a wine drinker, right? It's the same reason why you shouldn't market a wine to, oh, this is for women because it's soft and pretty. It can be pretty, but are you? why are you marketing it to just women, Right, because men like rosé, and that's the perfect example, rosé. Usually the marketing for rosé is always women. It's never men. Why is that? And so with that, with the race, it's almost, when I see your social media, you have all these beautiful vineyard photos and vineyard shots. Why are there no people of color? Why are there no black and brown people in the in the um in the marketing when we all know that black and brown labor and primarily brown labor is the reason we have one. Exactly. That's, that's a, that's one of those things like people and people are voting with their dollars and people are listening to a lot of these brands who are taking initiatives. And I have really talked with them and I also tell them, as I tell myself, I have to allow everyone to have grace that this change takes time. This is not an overnight change. Some things can be fast. We still live in COVID, so you can't shoot new photos for your vineyard, right? That's a, you know, we have to look at that. You, you can't mm -hmm. hire all these people to be so close to each other to take a photo shoot. So I understand also that's going to take time. But if you decide to use stock photo images on your social, you can go look for black people drinking wine. Those stock photos exist. It's not that hard. So, yes, that's <laughs> in a nutshell. I have patience. Right. I am waiting on people that I think at the grand scheme of things, you're going to always have people who want to be on the right side of history. And you're always going to have people who don't care. And that's going to be I'm just going to concern myself with the people who are going to be on the right side of history. Right. And yeah. so for you, is is cooking or you know, perhaps more appropriate, appropriately drinking wine, a, a political act? Well, here's the funny thing. I drink wine and cook and I cook and eat, right. drink wine. <laughs> I, and that's one of the, here's my thing though, too. I also believe that the food world and the wine world are very separate. And I don't really know people mm -hmm. who don't drink wine with food. I just, right. they've seemed very separate. Right. But to me, I do think as you know, I know you had on your newsletter and it was the comments has a term food is political been overused is wine political been overused we can say that right but mm -hmm. i do think they're political right. in a way right i i can drink a wine and think who made it 
How are they treating their workers? How, you know, do the staff that actually work for this winery feel? I can be okay with that and say that is kind of political and do that part. But that's me. I think Mm -hmm. for me, food and wine are political. So yes, wine is political. It's, it's, It's political in a way, you know, I'm, you know, recently there's been who own, who gave to, you know, donations to the dump campaign, because I don't like to say his name. Um, mm-hmm. And but I also think I have friends who work there are very nice people who don't believe in that either. And so it's a it's a it's very multi-layered and it's hard. Okay. So, it yeah, wine is political. <laughs> it really <laughs> it is. It, it's, I, I, it's voting with my dollar is political. It's political. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Julia, for coming on and and chatting. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Thank you. So feel free to reach out anytime. And oh, man, your your work and your newsletter is my cup of coffee on Mondays. I'm like, (laughs) when is it coming in? Is it my inbox? I just love looking for it. It just makes me happy because you make me think about things I wouldn't think about. Oh, oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And and same for your work. Your work is is so uh, indispensable. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really, really happy. Well, sometimes I'm like, how do you do it? How do you do a newsletter every week? I'm just, I don't know how you do it. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be a subscriber, but I'm just like, how do you do this every week? Goodness gracious. And all the writing I mean, you do, like, which is amazing. And the cooking. And I'm like, how is she? Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always worried. I'm not going to have anything to say, but uh, somehow I always end up with, with, <laughs> with something. <laughs> But yeah. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you.